0: Many of you have heard of the five love languages, and we're not going to talk about all of this morning, but they were written and introduced uh, several years ago by an author named Gary Chapman. And according to Chapman... Uh, there are five ways in which we express and experience love. And he termed them and referred to them as love languages. And the premise is, is that we all have primary and secondary ways in which we feel most loved. And because that's the way we feel most loved, then our natural way that then we show love is the way we feel loved. Okay, makes sense? So uh, all the love languages are words of affirmation, gifts acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. And if you've never taken the assessment or read the book, I highly, highly recommend it, especially if you're in a relationship or if you have kids, because it's super under, uh, helpful to understand how you personally give and receive love, as well as the people around you that, that you love. But if you're not speaking in the same language, then sometimes they can't give or receive it uh, like, like you want. But a few years ago, a sixth love language was proposed, and it was not tacos, uh, but it, it, connects, it connects a little bit to the love language of quality time, uh, and it's the love language of going on adventure. The way that uh, like you most feel connected to other people uh, it, and feel like the way you feel loved is if they get a hold of you and say, hey, we're going on an adventure. We're doing something that's out of your comfort zone or maybe something new uh, or taking people on an adventure. And when I looked back on my life, I realized that this is actually very true of my life. throughout my life, uh, the main people that I've loved doing this with is with my wife and with my children. Uh, For example, we were a camping family from when our kids were early to like get out in the woods, get in nature. We'd pull up to a campsite and like my youngest could barely walk and I'm handing out hatchets saying, go get the firewood, you know, and so, and they all still have their digits. And then I remember uh, one year where we took two and a half weeks and we camped our way from southwest of Missouri to Colorado Springs to the Rocky Mountains to the Grand Canyon all the way to Southern California to see my wife's family and, and back. And it just was such an incredible thing. Uh, I, I remember taking my whole entire family. Our youngest was nine at the time. And we went to a, a village in the northwestern mountains of Haiti where we had a sister church and a school with students that we sponsored and to go and, and to serve Uh, Everybody uh, thought I was crazy. In fact, I even had an uncle that told me he was praying that God would close that door because I was so stupid to take my nine-year-old and family there, and I did it anyways because somebody said don't. Uh, And then I I think uh, of the young adults, especially in recent years, uh, I've had so much fun uh, in ministry. In taking young adults to worship events and leadership development events and, and experiences to serve in other cultures, uh, ranging from serving the homeless in downtown Wichita to serving in one of the most murderous capitals on the planet, in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, uh, in, you know, because who needs to be safe? And uh, one of my greatest joys, one of my greatest joys is doing everything that I can to get as many people into the adventure of following Jesus and being a part of the story that God is writing on this planet. in this great story that God's writing, and then three years ago it came to this apex where it initially began with sitting with a group of young adults on our back deck with the chimenea going, and uh, three years ago having this conversation where I invited them to join me in this, this won't be easy, but it will be so worth it uh, to plant a church in Wichita. But a church that doesn't just have heart for the already Christians, but for uh, uh, not just another church for church people, but one that also has a heart that beats for the outsider, for the nun, for the, the unchurched, or the people that walked away from the church, or the people that maybe they still have faith, but they lost faith in the local church. And, and then they did it, and then uh, others found out what we were doing, and they wanted to be a part of it as well. And just in the first half of 2019, we've had almost 30 men, women, and children visit us and then decide that this is the community, this is the kind of community that they want to be a part of. Now, to be fair, in the last two and a half years, we've also had others that for uh, one reason or another, being part of a church plant, was a little more challenging than they expected, or maybe because of the size that we are, because we're, we're small, we acknowledge that. And so there are just things that we can't necessarily do right now that their family really wanted to be able to do, or because maybe there was, this, there's, was a DNA difference between our DNA and the DNA of a church experience that they grew up in, or how they interpreted the Bible, or whatever those things are. Uh, but, uh, and so they end up going and they've tried to find other communities that fit them more personally. However, one of the things that I realize as I prepared for this morning is as I reflect back on nearly every single individual that at one point or another uh, decided that they couldn't continue, they were missing at least one, if not more, of the, the four key elements that I'm going to arrive at at the end of the message. So that'll be very important. But from the very beginning... There's been a remnant that's remained just captive uh, to the idea of what we are trying to accomplish, the vision of what we're trying to accomplish. And along the way, many of you have come to experience something about this community uh, that makes you want to call New Life Wichita your church. And that excites me because I'm convinced that Jesus has a very similar love language as me. He wants to invite people into an adventure that God is again writing. He's doing something big in this world from the very beginning. And Jesus invites us, he invites us, uh, every one of us, to follow him on this adventure. But the journey is almost as important as a destination, because the journey is what prepares us for the destination. And this morning, we're going to take a look at at a story in the life of Jesus, but we're going to come at it all at once, but it's actually the blending of three different angles. We're going to look at this, and for some of you, this will hopefully just be a refreshment of, of what it is that you're a part of. As I told the team that's volunteering this morning, we all meet at 9.29 as a target. Usually it's 9.32. But we just take a chance to just uh, connect and, and celebrate and acknowledge what we're doing and, and talk through details, but then uh, just pray through what's going to happen this morning and what people are going to experience. And one of the things that I just have regularly said is that, that you're not just doing a task, you're not just setting up a sign or putting something in a seat or, or, or setting up a cable you're playing a role in helping everyone that engages with us prepare them to take their next step in their spiritual journey. So again, this morning, we're going to take a look at this story. So for some of you, it's going to be a refreshment. For some of you, you're new, and it's going to be an introduction into who we are and why we do what we do. Now, five months ago, my wife and I were in a town called Capernaum. It is not in Arkansas. Uh, to give you a, a picture of where Capernaum is, Capernaum is a little over 100 miles north of Jerusalem. It's on the northwest shore shores of the Sea of Galilee. And in the first century, when Jesus uh, inaugurated his public ministry, he made the town of Capernaum his home base. And then this is a glimpse of what it looks like today. Uh, you can see back in the background, you see the Sea of Galilee, and uh, the mountains in, in the background, and that's a contested area of land right now, which is all very interesting. But what you're seeing here is uh, you're seeing a millstone, and this was like a multifamily complex that existed in the city of Capernaum. So you would have had multiple families uh, that, that lived in this, and, and just basically shared life together. And uh, then there's this and this right here, this actually has a ginormous spaceship-looking church built on top of it. And the interesting thing is this is the house of a man whose name was Simon, and Jesus changed his name to something else. What was it? Yeah, for those of you who grew up in church, you know it. Simon, uh, his name was changed to Peter. So this was actually Simon's house. It's one of the few archaeological places, like they, they just know for a fact, this, this was the place. And so that, uh, all of this is to, uh, th- this is Capernaum uh, where Peter lived with his family. And uh, the reason I'm telling all, all of you this and showing you this is to give you a little bit of visual context uh, for the, the real event that began in a, a real place that we're going to talk about this morning and the important implications for every single one of us and for us as a community. So Matthew records for us in in chapter 8, he records about this great event, which typically referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It takes several of the early chapters of the book of Matthew, and then Jesus starts down the mountainside, and he begins to head towards the town of Capernaum. Matthew tells us that when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean, and so Jesus, he's coming down from the mountain. He's headed towards Capernaum. On the way, a leper approaches him, and he drops to his knees in the in the most humblest way. He asks Jesus to, to actually, he uses the word to cleanse him, or ultimately to heal him. And it'll make more sense in a second. Now, to us Western readers, we don't realize how incredibly uncomfortable this moment was for all the people that were in. This moment. As soon as this man with leprosy was in their proximity, people would have begun to back away. In fact, it's not unlikely that as he was trying to work his way to Jesus, that there would have been people in the crowd throwing stones at him just to try to keep him away, because they did not want to get his his leper cooties. Uh, and, and, And to give you a picture of what this man's existence was like, this is what was written in the Jewish law. Uh, about somebody with leprosy. Any with, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. And as long as they have the disease, they, are, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. And you think you've got it back when you get like a ginormous zit, right? So this is this guy's uh, existence. I mean, get the picture. Get a glimpse of this man's existence. I mean, imagine the pain and the shame, the isolation, the personal brokenness. I mean, a guy like this, he was an utter social outcast. And no one wanted to be close to him. They didn't want to get whatever off of him, onto them, and become ceremonially unclean. But Jesus, he does the unthinkable because Jesus didn't come to continue something old. He had come to start something new the crowd would have gasped as Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He touched the man. And he said, I am am willing. He says, be clean. And then they would have gasped again as immediately, and now that you know the Jewish law, you understand why Matthew uses the word, he was cleansed. He was healed of his leprosy. And all this was just mind-blowing for the first century Jews. They they couldn't quite get their mind uh, around Jesus. And so Jesus continues on his way. The crowd only continues to get bigger. Jesus reaches the town of Capernaum. He's on his way to Peter's house when a leading Roman military official, probably the leading official of the town, uh, approaches Jesus, or he sent a, a small delegation to approach Jesus on his behalf, uh, on the behalf of a servant who, we're told, was paralyzed and suffering terribly. And most of you are familiar with this story. And again, Jesus does something that's unthinkable that we Western readers, we, just re- we blow past. He offers to come to the home to heal the servant. Now, again, Jesus was healing people left and right, so why would this be a big deal? Well, it's because Jews don't even cross the threshold of a Gentile home. And this is not only just a Gentile, like this is a Roman centurion. He represents the occupying power of that country that is just so oppressing the Jewish people. And yet Jesus is willing to go to his home. And Matthew records for us one of the only two times that we are told that Jesus was amazed. This Roman military leader tells Jesus that he's not worthy for Jesus to come under his roof. But if Jesus will just say the word, he knows that a servant will be healed And we're told Jesus is amazed that the faith of this Gentile is greater than anything that he has seen from his own people, the very people who were watching for and anticipating a Messiah. The centurion servant is healed immediately after this interaction, and then Jesus finally arrives at Peter's house. looked a little better than it does right now. Uh, When he arrives, peter he gets there. Peter's mother-in-law is sick in bed with a fever, we're told. And again, Jesus continues to touch people he shouldn't touch. He touches her, and he heals her. And suddenly, so she's feeling amazing. She jumps up. She starts whipping up some fish and chips. And she's just so happy and grateful. So, so here's what's happened so far. Jesus has healed a leper, a centurion servant, and a sick woman. And each scenario is both miraculous and fascinating and confusing for the Jewish people because this Jewish rabbi he is not playing by the same rules as the other Jewish rabbis and the leaders of his day he is willing to touch the untouchable and even enter the home of a home that he, someone he should never enter just for the purpose of helping someone in need so word gets out and a big crowd forms Matthew tells us that when evening came many who were demon possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word Word and healed all their sick. And this goes on and on until the evening. It's been a long day. A lot of amazing things have happened. Yet you've got all these people coming from all over the region to see Jesus. And now you have a snapshot of the contextual buildup to what happens next. And what happens next is what I actually want to focus on this morning. And to give us a more complete picture. I'm actually going to intertwine all three gospel accounts of the same story. It doesn't make it longer, but it brings together all of these key angles and elements from Matthew and Mark and Luke. And first, I'm just going to read it for you without break, and then we're going to walk it through because there's important implications for you and for me. So again, it's been a long day. When evening came, seeing the crowd around him, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake or the Sea of Galilee. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then another disciple says to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then leaving the crowd behind, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. And there were also other boats with him. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Suddenly a furious storm came on the lake, So that the waves swept over the boat, So that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. But Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Or Mark, he records it from Peter, is saying, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters, quiet, be still. The storm subsided and it was completely calm. The disciples were terrified and in amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, this story sounds familiar because we focused on the more narrow part of the story in the not commands of Jesus, of fear not and doubt not. Uh, but today we're focusing on the bigger story and how it connects to us individually and then as a community. So pressing rewind, Jesus says out loud, he says, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. But and, and before they can shove off we're told there's an interruption, that a teacher of the law comes to him and says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replies, Foxes have dens or birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's like, so is that a yes or no? Like, like, like what does this mean? Well, religious leaders of the day they were typically wealthy, especially the higher up you got up in the religious order. In fact, Sean and I had a chance to go go to a part of Jerusalem where the better off lived, and we had a chance to go to a religious leader's home, uh, the remains of it, and it, it, we visited. It had multiple rooms. It had mosaic on the floor, which was very, very expensive, and then it actually had a lower level, what we would consider a basement, that had multiple rooms in it. Again, they, they lived very, very wealthy, and so Jesus's point was, listen, the love and grace of God is free, but following me will cost you something. I'm not like the other rabbis. I'm not like the other teachers of the law and the religious leaders. So if your priority, if you're, one of your main priorities is to maintain and keep a certain lifestyle and a level, level of living, I'm not your guy. I'm here for something bigger. Then another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus responds, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. He's like, Jesus, that's so rude. Like, like, that's very unchristian of you. So, see, Jesus' words to us sound harsh, but it's because we don't understand what this man was really saying. What he was really saying was, is that he wanted to stay with his father and with his family until his, his father died, which could, could be years away. He wanted to wait. Why? Because there's his inheritance to think about. And he doesn't necessarily want to be disowned. And he just doesn't want to leave money on the table. He wants to secure in his inheritance and then possibly follow Jesus. Essentially, he was just simply trying to find a way to have the best of both worlds. And it was an acknowledgement. Jesus, to follow you right now might cost me something. And I'm not sure it's worth it. So Jesus gets past this guy, finally no more delays, it's time to go. Then leaving the crowd behind, he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and there were also other boats with him. Now, here's what I don't want us to miss. There are three groups that are represented in this point of the narrative. First, there's the crowd. There are the people that just kind of came and they showed up, and, and, and they're staying on shore, they stay on shore, or they stay in the town, or they just go back home. It's the people that, for whatever reason, they showed up because Jesus was a curiosity at least, but they might get something from him at best, but following Jesus ended at the shoreline because they were like the teacher of the law and the other disciple. Following Jesus might cost me something, and I'm not sure that it is worth it. I'm not sure it's worth the cost, so I'm not going to follow. Then you have the disciples that get into the boat with Jesus. These are the, this would have been at least the 12, but not limited to his 12 chosen disciples. These are the ones determined to stick as close to Jesus as possible. They did not want to miss a thing. And those in the boat, again, it would, could have, it would have been the 12 plus. And then there are the others. Because again, we're told by Mark there were also other boats with him. Which means that there were those that they did get into boats. They followed Jesus out onto the dark sea of Galilee. And I'm going to come back to those three groups in just a moment because they matter to where we're headed. But we're told as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. Suddenly a furious storm comes up on the lake so that the waves sweep over the boat, so the boat was being swamped. and They were in great danger. But Jesus is in the stern and he's sleeping on a cushion. I just think it's funny. Why do we need to know he's on a cushion? But that's what they tell us, you know, all this detail. And as we said a few weeks ago, this is us, Right? I mean, I mean, there are those of us that we would say we are committed. We're committed to following Jesus. We would say we're, we're, we're all in. We're trying to do all that we think God desires of us. Uh, we'd say like the disciples, we're like fully in the boat with Jesus. And still we face these scary or challenging or frustrating or difficult or even terrifying circumstances. And it feels like God is asleep. And for these guys, literally, Jesus is right there asleep. And then things finally get bad enough, they finally work up the guts because nobody wants to wake anybody up from a nap, right? Especially if not dad. So the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. But I love how Mark records it. Mark says to the disciples, Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? And again, this is us. This is us. Aren't there times where it's like, God, do you even care? God, do you care about my situation? Do you care about my circumstance? Do you, feel, do, do, do you feel any concern that I feel like I'm drowning? And based on all the circumstances around me, I am. Are you going to do anything? And part of me can't help but wonder if Jesus' reply may have been with like, I just woke up from a nap attitude. I mean, the dude is tired. He's sleepy. Uh, you know, maybe he was all gentleness. But, but think how well you respond when you're totally exhausted and somebody awakes you abruptly from a nap. It doesn't go well. So I I wonder if there's just a little bit of, why are you still, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And this, this is where being fully in the boat with Jesus paid off. See, the crowd that stayed back on the shore, shore because they weren't sure it was worth the cost, and even the other boats that were a distance from Jesus, I mean, they're experiencing the storm as well. But, either they missed out entirely or they only got to hear secondhand those that were in the other boats, They only got to hear secondhand what those in the boat got to hear and witness. And this experience, and they got to have that because they determined to get as close to Jesus as they possibly could. And they got to witness firsthand this amazing moment that would mark them for the rest of their lives. They watched as Jesus got up Rebuke the wind and the raging waters, quiet, be still, I'm tired. And the storm subsided and it was completely calm. And suddenly, as, they, as afraid as they were from the storm, and again, we t- alluded to this a few weeks ago, they are now more afraid of Jesus than they were of the storm. They were terrified. And in amazement, they asked one another, "Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him." And because they were willing to get in the boat with Jesus and to stay as close to him as possibly as they possibly could, they experienced uh, an, they had an experience that in the moment caused them terror. But that same moment would set the stage for them to live a life of incredible courage because it played a role in enabling them to live a life of no fear, not even fear of death. And if you don't fear death, then you are able to truly live. And then the cherry on top for all of those that chose to follow Jesus was when they got to the other side, Jesus does this other amazing miracle that demonstrated that God indeed is up to something big on this planet. And... They got to witness it. It's a great story. You, sh- you need to go home. You need to read it for yourself. But what does any of this have to do with us? What I would describe as true, as my true, in the boat moment with Jesus was 2 a.m., March 20th, 1988. If you've been around me for a while, you've heard this story way too many times. But it's a moment when, when at that point, honestly, uh, my belief and my following of Jesus was to the level of the crowd. That I I followed God, I followed Jesus as long as he was doing something for me. I followed when it was convenient, but didn't follow when it might cost me something. Then I had a moment where I was almost killed on the flight deck, and that combined with another another few other moments, and I began to reevaluate some things. And it led me to this, uh, uh, just stay with the crowd or go home or get in the boat. And I chose to fully get in the boat with Jesus, and from that point on, God just rocked my world. He showed up in a dramatic way uh, to to the point that uh, the thing that made my heart beat fast was the idea of spending the rest of my life doing everything that I could to help as many people as possible just fully get in the boat with Jesus, to help people, uh, uh, to to persuade them to, to engage the greatest adventure ever, to lead people to not be content to just hang with the crowd or to be, you know, follow Him from a safe distance where whenever I want to, I maybe can turn back, but instead to get all and fully into the boat with Jesus and how that plays out in your everyday life and into eternity. And then two and a half years ago, we launched this community. We launched with a philosophy that unapologetically and increasingly wants to attract the crowd. Because what we know from the beginning was just people inviting, come see Jesus, come and experience him, that even if it's just part of the crowd, that's a first step. That's a first step because eventually people see and experience enough that they decide decide to take it a step further. And like those that got into the other boats, they begin to adjust their lives and their schedules and their priorities because they believe that it is somehow worth the time to stay in closer proximity to Jesus. But the real win and the real goal is for us to help people to get into the boat with the Jesus. And in other words, just get as close as possible because that is where the real experience is. And I want that for everyone. And I look back and I, I see, uh, I look back and see the incredible life-altering experiences that I've had. I've been, had doors open to be able to work with and, and get to know some of the most amazing people on the planet. I've been able to witness incredible things, experience God at work, see God do amazing things in my own life, in my own family, in my own marriage and, and all of that. And I desperately want that for as many of you as possible. And my passion and what I what we do is also driven by something else that's very important. And that's the deep conviction that there is more to this life than this life. And Jesus and his closest followers repeatedly tell us about it and at times warn us of it. That there is more to this life than this life. That life on this earth comes to an end for us all. But that is not the end. And what comes after for us all will either be indescribably wonderful or indescribably horrible. And Jesus and those that followed him most closely listened to him, who, who were witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. They use the word eternal. That, that we all live forever somewhere, and we have some choice in the matter. And that everything hinges first on hearing about what God has done through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, followed by one's willingness to trust God to the point that we are willing to submit our lives to Him and, and to, to believe that God proved His existence and proved His work through the death and resurrection of Jesus and through all the other signs that that gives credibility to. Because, as Paul, the Apostle Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is what I've gladly dedicated my entire life to, to help as many people as possible get in the boat with Jesus. And I desperately want every single one of you to go from crowd to following as a, at a distance to being in the boat with Jesus. I want for every one of you to get as close to Jesus as you possibly can so that you can experience all that he has for you to experience. But how do you do that? And this is where just I want to get really practical. Otherwise, this is just ethereal and it's head talk and whatever. So how do I practically do it? Well, one of the biggest ways is first to engage in personal disciplines beyond just coming here on a Sunday morning or listening online and attending church. I've talked to you many times about establishing, for example, a pattern of prayer in your life, especially in the morning, getting ahead of whatever your day has for you in prayer or getting into this pattern of getting into the Bible on a regular basis, especially the New Testament. I mean, with the YouVersion Bible app, it makes it so easy, and you can do reading plans, you can do reading plans with friends, but you can get into the Word and essentially put yourself at the feet of Jesus and His closest followers to learn who He was, what He was about, what He was passionate for and begin to, to embrace that into uh, the discovering of Jesus in your life and its implications for your day-to-day life, let alone your eternity. Then as you learn in your personal time, as well as what we talk about every weekend, which every weekend is from the Bible for application, that you apply what you learn, especially as it pertains to how you love the people in your life as Jesus loved you. And then as a group, as a community, for everyone that claims to be a follower of Jesus, we're described as the body of Jesus. Every single one of us has something important to offer. So God has given you something of value that you bring. And especially with a church plant, everyone's contribution is noticed. Every one of you that you volunteer, your contribution is noticed. And it's just visible and there's this felt measurable impact. The willingness of as many of you as possible to be fully engaged means that you not only grow personally in your faith, but it impacts uh, how uh, everything in your personal life, your personal finances, your well-being. But it also then impacts the lives of other people. Your role is visible, and it makes an impact. It makes us more effective. And so there, there, there's four things. And part of this, this will be the application part of, like, what... what Again, what do I do with this? To become fully engaged. And this, what I said at the beginning, that we've had people that, for them, at some point, they got disengaged. And almost every single one of them, one or more of these elements was missing. And so we want you to become fully engaged. So to be fully in the boat with new life, so to speak, for some of you, your next step to help you grow, to be engaged, is to begin giving a percentage on a consistent basis. Is, is one way to honor God with your finances and to become involved with the success of what we're trying to achieve. And many of you, you already do this. You have made this a pattern of your life. For others of you, your next step to help you grow and be engaged in a way that makes an impact uh, with, with others is to test drive one of our ministry areas. You know, that, that you've kind of been observing and everything, but it's time for you to say, you know what, I'm not going to commit for weeks or months or a year or any of that, but I'm willing to test drive a ministry area. Or you've been in one saying, you know what? I have more capacity. I know that there's other need. I'll test drive an additional area as well. So that way you get to begin to impact uh, others. You begin to serve so that you can benefit by serving alongside other people and, and see God using you in the lives of other people. And, and to ultimately for us to create an environment that ultimately becomes irresistible to those that are outside of the community. People you work with. People you go to school with. People that live next to you. That you would begin to grow in this way of serving others. And that, that for others of you, your next step is to group. That you need to carve out time in your weekly schedule where you just meet with two Maybe or three, or seven, or ten other individuals on a regular basis so that you can begin building authentic community so that you're moving forward in your life and so that when you face different things or you celebrate different things, you've got people close to you that can walk with you through that. You're not doing life alone. For others of you to help you grow and engage in such a way that it impacts you and others is you need to invest in invite. You need to invest in invite because God's uniquely positioned you in the lives of other people Others that have not yet come to know or put their trust in Jesus. And, and let me be clear about something. Well, I want all of you to, be, you know, as, you know, to beat this uh, metaphor to death in the boat with Jesus. And us as a Jesus community, as, as a body, as a core, it's not because I want something from you. It's not because I want you to fill a role or I want to be able to talk to my other pastor friends and go, oh yeah, we're doing great because of this, this, and this. And somehow it makes me look good because I'm not that good. I want you fully engaged because I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out what God may have for you. I don't want you to miss out what God may have, want to do in you or through you. I don't want you to miss out what being in closest proximity to Jesus will do for your life and for your relationships. I don't want you to miss out on sharing this amazing journey and experience with us because planning church, it is challenging. And the more involved, and for those that are involved in leadership, like you, you, they know, we know, because we just think about it so much. But I want you to face and experience the challenges with us together that we're going to continue to face collectively. But then for us to be able to see God show up in extraordinary ways. I don't want you to miss out on the joy that comes from being generous with your resources and time. I don't want you to miss out on on the fulfillment that comes with knowing that you're playing a role, an important role in something bigger than yourself. I don't want you to miss out on, on something that will change you as you develop authentic community with others and let people into your life and you get invested in theirs. And for you to be able to see other people that you impact begin to make life-changing, awesome decisions because you were willing to show up and invest in their lives. And then when the time was right, invite them into community. That by engaging in spiritual disciplines, that you get as close to Jesus as possible. That by giving and serving and grouping and investing and inviting and seeking to engage what matters most to Jesus and doing these things, that you would experience all that God has for you and that the people around you, that they would experience something as well. I'm going to say this. For a few of you right now, I know that you're in a season where, again, to go back to our boat image, you just need others to do the rowing for a little bit. Uh, you're all in as far as in the boat with Jesus, but you just kind of need to lay on the other cushion and take a nap with Jesus. And like, because for one reason or another, you're just tired. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally maybe you're coming in with a limp, you're exhausted, you just need others around you to take the oars for a while and I just want you to know that's okay because we've been called to carry one another's burdens and one of the ways we can do that is provide an environment where you can just find rest knowing that you're loved, you matter and you can just simply be for a season but then as you regain your strength that then you would just begin to engage because you and I have been invited into this incredible adventure with Jesus. So, Here's a snapshot of our boat. It's a snapshot of who we are. Is that we're people helping people find and follow Jesus. That the, the why we exist is to be a catalyst for spiritual and social change makers. That what you experience by being a part of this community empowers and equips you, inspires you to have an impact in the places that God has you. That everything we do, it's all about Jesus. And everything that we say and do, it's all about Jesus. Radical love that we will love by action, everyone, always. Irrational generosity that will maximize our resources to bless others and to reach those that are far from God. Authentic community because we're not designed to do life alone. The church has left the building that we're a movement, that we don't exist for ourselves, we exist for others. And passing the baton that we will engage, equip, and empower the next generation. And that's who we are. This is the boat. This is what we're inviting you into. For many of you, you've been with us from the very beginning. And some of you, you're brand new. And if you're curious who we are, this is who we are. This is what we're inviting you into. So what is it for you? So on your uh, chairs as you came in, there is a card like this and a pen. And uh, what I'd like you to do is uh, I'd like you to quit shopping on Amazon. I would like you to go ahead and I would like you to put your name on the card, please. Please. You're not signing up for anything. Everybody do this. This is an all-scape. Put your name on your card. And then I would like you to either mark for you what your next step is or write on there what it is. And it may be more than one thing. Maybe it's that I need to be, begin to engage in the spiritual discipline of praying. I need to get in the spiritual discipline of getting into the Bible more. Maybe when it comes to your relationship with us, it's that you know what I need to start giving a percentage, or it is you know it's time for me to stop just being in the stands and in the crowd. I'm going to take the step, and I'm going to I'm going to begin serving. Maybe it is, you know what? I, I can't necessarily do it this week, but you know what? I'm kind of doing life alone, and when I'm facing my my spiritual struggles and my wrestling with God and His faithfulness in my life, I don't really have those two or three go-to people. There's people that are not really like in my business in my life because I'm not letting them in that close. And for maybe you, it's grouping, and maybe it's invest and invite that you know there's somebody in your circle, one of your friends, a family, a coworker that they keep coming to mind and you have kind of a burden for them and where they are spiritually and kind of where they are in life. And maybe for whatever reason, you've been a little nervous or scared to begin to, to talk to them. And maybe it is just, you just need to begin investing in them more and, and, and loving them more, going out of your way to let them know that you care. And then when the moment's right, to invite them into the community. I'm going to pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you for what you've invited us into. I thank you for those that were willing to be a part of starting this community. And Father, I thank you for the community that we are now. And Father, I pray for every single one of us. God, we face the busyness and the craziness of the day and screens and distractions and, and so much just every day. And Father, uh, sometimes we're reluctant to do what it is that you're calling us to do because there's things that we would have to give up to make time for those things. But God, I pray that you would help us to identify things that are just, uh, they're just distractions. They're time suckers. They they really don't have any value. And it steals time that could go to, to bigger and better things and to the people in our lives. And I pray that you would give everyone that is listening to me right now including myself, the courage and the wisdom and the discernment and the strength to identify those things, to move them out of our life, to let them go, to cut them loose, and to begin to embrace these things. That we're more engaged in what you're doing in our lives, in our relationships, and in this city. And Father, that you would help us to just draw as close to Jesus as we can to learn from him, to take his leadership in our life in every area and that that would translate out into impacting every relationship with us. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray, amen.